We're uh, smack dab in the middle of our Mark study, book study. Uh, we find ourselves today finishing up uh, Mark chapter 5, where we spent a lot of time last week at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And today we're going to see that Jesus gives us two more uh, examples of his power, but in, in different ways. If we think back over uh, what, we've, what we've learned so far, we've seen his power displayed in quite a few different ways. His, his teaching, his miracles, uh, and then last week we saw his power over nature. Remember, he had crawled up into the, the front of the boat and fallen asleep on the cushion, uh, and, the, and the storm came up, and we saw him rebuke the storm, and, and it obeyed him. Uh, and that was pretty cool to see Jesus' power and his words over creation, uh, which made me at least think of, of the creation story uh, and my belief that Jesus Christ was there speaking into existence creation from the beginning. It's a beautiful connection to that. We also saw last week, though, a connection to his, uh, where Jesus displayed his power over demons. Um, and it was one of those things where you, you're looking at a story and the story is pretty crazy. And then you're thinking to yourself, like, how does this really affect me today? You know, are demons, is Satan still really involved in trying to trip us up as believers? How all those things start to work? Um, and, and yet we saw Jesus cast out the demons. We saw the, demon, the demons really acknowledge and know that he was the boss. They knew who he was. They spoke to him by name. Uh, they begged him and asked that they go to a particular place and not just be cast out. So Jesus gave him permission to go into the pigs. And, and, and it was just a crazy story. But we saw Jesus' power over Satan, his power over demons. And, and this week we're going to see a couple of other areas where Jesus is going to display his power. Uh, and and in t- today we're going to see it over sickness and we're going to see it over death. Um, again, kind of hearkening back to the healing ministry that he had done. But these are two stories where uh, Mark, who is very careful with his words and only gives small amounts of time to each thing that he wants to talk about, he's going to focus in on these two a little bit more. So I hope that encourages us to really look at it and say, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me today? How can I apply this to my life? How can I be encouraged by this? And how can I grow to become more like you? So sickness and death And we're going to see these stories really pushing us to consider again what our faith looks like in our own lives. Because we're going to see that's the story today, really, in both these situations, is the faith that's shown in Jesus Christ. We have a Savior that has power over sickness and death. So let's just jump right into our text today and take a look at our two examples of Jesus' power. Starting in Mark Uh, like I said, verse 21 of chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So today we, we just real quick, before we get into this, we kind of have a bit of a sandwich uh, to look at. We got the top bun, we got all the good stuff in the middle, we got the, the bottom bun. And, and so our, our story here begins with this father, Jairus, who's in a bit of distress. And then Mark's going to give us a story about a woman with a disease. And then we're going to end the story 
with Jairus and his daughter and what's going on there. So again, it's kind of this sandwich. So we're going to look at the, the first bun first, then the, the meat in the middle, and then get back to the bun. And, and so for any of you gluten-free friends, we can, we can view it as a lettuce wrap too. So we've got lettuce on the top, lettuce on the But whatever, whatever's good for you, it's some sort of a sandwich today. Uh, and so we're going to start out here. But both of these stories have some common themes in them. And so, again, as we are astute Bible students here, uh, we're going to look at this and we're going to see some, some themes in it. We want to acknowledge those things. And then, again, look, how can this, how can this really uh, affect my life? Uh, but a couple of the themes that we're going to see is Jesus uh, continues to show that he cares about those who are in trouble. He cares about those who are in distress, those who are suffering. So if you find yourself in any one of those categories today, Jesus cares for you. No matter what the trouble is, no matter what the distress is, no matter what your suffering might be. The second thing we're going to see is Jesus is the omnipotent God. Mark continues to point us back towards that truth. He wants us to realize that Jesus is God. He's making this case. He has authority. We've seen this authority in his teaching and his healing over the, uh, the creation, over demons, right? And he's going to continue to show us that. So that as we are strengthened in our faith, as we learn about these things, as we grow in these things, as we understand these things, we're going to be strengthened in our faith. Right? So let's pick up the story once again. Jesus comes back to the other side. Remember, he had been teaching. The crowds had pressed in. He had gotten into a boat, and he was teaching from the boat because there were so many people. There were estimates of ten to 20,000 people, potentially, from these surrounding communities. And, and so he hops in a boat. He starts teaching. He takes off. There's a storm. He shows power over that. He gets to the other side, which we believe is a Gentile land. Uh, And and so he's interacting for the first time, at least uh, on paper in Mark, uh, with some Gentiles. And again, praise God, because I don't know of any of you being Jews, but I think we're all Gentiles. So praise God that he loves the Gentiles. He desired for a relationship with the Gentiles. And yet they said go. They were afraid of what he was doing. They saw what had happened to the pigs. They were more uh, afraid of that than encouraged by what happened to the man who had been possessed by the demons. So Jesus and his followers, they get back into the boat. They go to the other side again. And and again, we, we see that it says that there was a crowd gathering. Jesus can't go anywhere without this crowd showing up. The people in the crowd, they, they make their way to Jesus. And in that crowd is Jairus, a, a religious leader of the day. Now, uh, if you remember, the religious leaders of the day did not like Jesus. He was, he was in, uh, in their minds in direct competition of what they were saying religiosity should look like, a relationship with Yahweh, with God of Israel. And so all this competition, because Jesus was coming in and loving on people and accepting them, going after the people on the fringe. He was healing people. Uh, he was doing things that they just thought were below them. Uh, and, and so here to see a religious leader uh, come to him, we have to go, okay, this is, this is a little different. This is a little bit crazy. He was a ruler in the synagogue. He falls on his face begging Jesus to go and heal his daughter who is on her deathbed. So the story gets interesting really, really quick. It's his only daughter we see there, uh, and, and we, we know that. So here you have this religious official 
who is essentially bucking the trend. He wasn't out there with the rest of his buddies who were in the synagogue. He wasn't out there with the rest of those leaders. He went on his own because he had heard about Jesus and he was in a desperate situation. What could Jesus potentially do for me? Now, I I love the model of faith that that Jarius is showing here. It's a beautiful picture of humble faith. He had heard about it. He had hoped. He had probably believed at least enough to get him up and out to where where Jesus was. He believed that Jesus could do for him and his daughter what no one else could do. Uh, There were no doctors that could take care of him, at least he felt. There was nothing else that could happen, and he was in a desperate place. He had faith to bring his cares, his requests, to Jesus. But although Jerry has demonstrated great faith at this point, we need to also observe that he didn't pursue Jesus until his world came crashing down on him. He had heard of Jesus, and yet he was quite content to stay in the synagogue. He was, he was there. He was a leader. It would have meant leaving what he was surrounded by and comfortable in and potentially even the, the job he had. And, and so he had heard of it. Maybe even uh, his ears were tickled by it, but the faith didn't allow him to move forward in that until his world crashed in on him. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, you and I, even if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and, 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 and our security for eternity is set in place, how often do we live our lives with faith lacking in a lot of areas, right? Many of us believe that, that Jesus Christ was enough for salvation, and, and that is a great point. That is a great truth. That is something to believe in and hold on to, Right? But then after we believe and after we're saved, yeah, we'll show up to church once in a while and we'll sing here and there, not every song, but some of the ones we like, right? We'll, we'll drop some money in the offertory and, and we'll be polite. But, but sometimes our faith doesn't really even go outside these walls and, and maybe it isn't even on display in here uh, until, well, we have a point of crisis, Right? We, we don't have great faith in our lives. And I think one of the challenges that you and I can take from this today is to not be like Jairus, to, to not only come to Jesus when we need him desperately, but to live a life of faith and ask God, how should I live in faith today? How will this affect me today? How can I become more like the disciple you've called me to be, a person of faith, even when there isn't a point of tragedy? Because a lot of us will, will show great faith. We'll come uh, to the pastors and ask for prayer. Or we'll talk to our community groups or our friends if, if our child is sick or, or, or one of our loved ones is dying or uh, maybe, maybe our, our marriages are in a place where it looks like it could end in divorce. Uh, then we want to like show right, that we have this faith that we want to come to those who are, are around us and surround us, and, and, and we want to ask for prayer, and we believe that God can do great things, and yet in the day-to-day, maybe we don't show that as much. And, and I think one of the reasons why is because I think we as believers can be blinded by faith that we put in ourselves, okay? The p- faith that we put in ourselves. We assume that we are self-sufficient. Now, the world tells us that, the world 
grooms us in a way that we should become people who don't need other people. We don't need God. We don't need those other things. We should be able to take care of it all by ourselves. But what we have to understand and what Jesus wants to teach us is that we need to be God-dependent. And not only when our world is crashing in around us. Every morning when we wake up, we need to be thanking God for the breath that we have and then for everything that happens throughout that day. And and we need to be asking God to be a part of everything that's going on in our lives. So make no mistake, sooner or later, we will figure out that we need him. And yet God would rather us to figure that out sooner. So faith in the midst, that's kind of where we're going today. We see Jarius, we see him come out, but we're going to move on to this next story, the middle of the sandwich, the, the, the meat and the cheese or whatever it is that you like in the middle of your sandwich. That's where we're at today. So he went with him. Jesus went with Jairus. And of course, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was, was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, I love that, the, the flow of blood dried up and she felt her, in her body that she was healed of disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Okay, now this was a good uh, chunk of text. This is a healthy sandwich. This is one of those days that you're really hungry, right? So there may be turkey and ham and roast beef, along with your cheeses and your tomatoes and your lettuce. I mean, this thing is full, right? And so we're going we're gonna to tear down these, this story here. We're going to look into it. But I, I think this story gives us a really good look at faith, the faith of this woman, and then Jesus' response to her faith. So we've seen faith displayed in, in many ways over the last couple of chapters. Some strong faith, some weak faith, but faith nonetheless. Uh, the faith of people, uh, we saw the faith of the disciples, and it's growing and yet still is weak in a lot of areas. We've seen the faith of demons. They know who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They just don't believe in him. But, but we've seen still a faith there. There's a belief there. And now today we've, seen, we've witnessed the faith of Jairus and this woman. Uh, and, and Jesus is traveling with Jairus to see his sick daughter, presumably to heal her, and this great crowd follows him. Now, big surprise, right? A great big crowd following Jesus. And, and this crowd was so big 
that even though he was walking with Jairus and his disciples, they were pressing in on him and bumping into the disciples and bumping into Jesus. And, and this throng of people contained all kinds of people, people that, that wanted healing, that wanted to hear Jesus teach. It also contained this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Mark in, interestingly points out that she had suffered under many physicians. So she had done everything she could. She had gone to see all the doctors of the day, and, and she had spent everything she made, every dime she could find or collect or beg for, she would then turn around and spend on trying to get herself uh, relief from this ailment. A couple other things that, that Mark doesn't necessarily highlight, but that we know from Scripture, is this medical condition would have made her ceremonious, or ceremonially unclean. She would not have been able to go to uh, church. She wouldn't have been able to go to the synagogue, right? I mean, she wouldn't have been able to go and express any uh, sort of faith in God in uh, a, a building or in the building of the day because she would have been unclean because she continued to bleed. So she, she would not have been able to go to the temple to worship had she wanted to. It probably meant that she wasn't married either. If you really think about it, in that day and age, especially, uh, there, most men probably weren't going to stick around if this was something that was going on in, in their wife's life. Or, you know, it, they definitely were, were going to be uh, viewing her as, as less than if they had stayed there. She probably was childless also. And again, these are some assumptions we're making from the story based on what we know as facts of that day and age in the Jewish culture. Because there was kind of these cultural curses of sorts, and it seems like they were all highlighted in her condition. She couldn't go to the temple. She was unclean. She probably wasn't married. She probably didn't have children. And so these things were just heaped on top of her and, and highlighted in her life. And what I see here is a woman that if I had to peg with one word, there are probably a few that we could peg her with, but desperation is what I kind of felt the weight of on my shoulders this week as I considered this woman in her life. But this didn't stop her. This desperation didn't stop her. It only motivated her to put her for, uh, faith into fourth gear, to keep moving forward, right? And, and so there's this huge crowd. Again, we don't know how big this crowd is, how many people waited around for Jesus to go to one side and then back. But she was in this crowd that Mark uh, talks about being large and she presses her way through it, right? She gets through this crowd close enough to Jesus and then look at her faith. We saw the way it plays out in verse 27 states that she had heard the stories of Jesus and had come to the place that she felt she could just touch his garment, even the hem, and that she might find healing. I see faith there. Okay, I see faith. Now, maybe weak theology, right? The healer's clothing might be able to heal me. Maybe not acknowledging Jesus even as God yet or understanding that fully. So I'm okay with that. The theology is a bit weak, but look at her faith. It was strong. She believed if I could just touch his garment, I could be healed. She was desperate for this physical healing but also, because of that physical healing, she would experience healing emotionally. 
relationally, spiritually, economically. All of these things were the result of this ailment. This was a desperate, silent plea from a suffering woman. And yet look what happens when she touches Jesus' cloak, the hem of his cloak. Immediately she was healed. I love that. The blood stopped flowing and and healing had taken place immediately. What doctors couldn't do for her over the last 12 years, what no amount of money could do for her, right? Only her faith could do for her. Only her faith could make that happen. She experienced complete healing. Can you imagine even in that moment as the crowds are pressing around her and she realizes what has happened, the joy that must have overtaken her. This was going to change her life. She felt the healing. She experienced the healing. And and Jesus felt the healing power leave him. Verse 30 talks about Jesus felt this power leave him. And he turns to the crowd that's behind him and asks the question, "Who, who touched my garments? He knew something had happened. People had been bumping into him right? And touching him potentially and all those things like that. But this touch was different. Though there were hundreds and and maybe even thousands of people around him, Jesus knew something had happened. It's a beautiful picture, I think, of a Savior who loves each one of us enough to stop and to care for you, suffer with you, heal you. So if you ever feel you're alone and and maybe in your place uh, that you're at, it's been so long and so dark that you wonder if God really has the time to listen, if he really cares enough, let this story be an encouragement to you. When you boldly approach the throne of grace, which we are invited to do, God listens to you. He knows your name. He knows your ailment. He knows your fears. And he stops what he's doing. And he listens to you. The scene continues to play out here. One, we see the disciples uh, and their continued lack of understanding of who Jesus is. This is great. With all these people, how could you know? They say to Jesus, right? This is God. This is, this is uh, the, the man that they've seen heal, teach, calm the storm that was going to take their lives, uh, throw thousands of demons into pigs that then ran off a cliff and into the water, right? They, they say to him, but with all these people, how, how could you know, right? Like, how could you even know that somebody touched you or that healing had taken place? But we also see a, a confession of, from the healed, a healthy fear, one that acknowledged Jesus, the healer, that he knew what had happened. She told him the whole truth, it says, right? And he spoke to her of faith and peace. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus feels the healing go, and his disciples question him on it, right? What what, what do you you mean? There's so many people touching you and bumping you. how, How could you be saying that something special had happened here? And yet we see the, the woman say, I need, to, I need to tell the whole story. I need to confess it all. The whole truth. And he spoke to her of faith and peace that could go with her. Your faith has made you well. There are so many encouragements I feel in this story. The, the determination of the woman, right? 
her faith in a time when I'm sure that she felt hopeless and helpless and, and desperate. We see faith in the midst, right? In the midst of everything that was going on in her life. In a situation where many people would have given up hope. Twelve years. The same thing that keeps me on the outskirts of society. Given up hope, and yet she didn't. So much pain, and yet her faith brought her to the feet of Jesus. She found so much more than healing. She found God. Now, do you ever allow yourself a, a situation to distract your focus uh, on God to the point where, where you're overwhelmed and you refuse to see what God is doing in your life, what he has done in the past? You don't remember that because you're so focused on the here and now. God doesn't promise us all healing or perfection or resolution to every problem in our life on this side of eternity. But perfection in the eternal presence of him for eternity when our fight on this earth is through. Now the stories here that we see in Mark are, are ones that, that in, in, encourage us to, to be people of faith and to, to pray for healing and to pray for things. And yet we need to realize that it's God's timing and it's God's plan in our lives that will happen. You may be saying, but these stories, Mark, one after another, they end well. And, and so it's easy to, to focus in on these stories and, and to believe that this is how it's all going to be. And yet it's black and white in our Bibles it, it, for us to read, if you choose to read it, if you choose to believe it. Uh, the idea that sometimes bad things happen in our lives and sometimes healing will not come this side of heaven. Let's look at just a couple of passages together uh, this morning. I'm just going to read them to you, but uh, the one for situations and one for health. Um, Habakkuk in chapter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18 says, Though the, the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk's faith never wavers. The situation around him, there's no food, there's no livestock, there's no money, right? Everything around him is falling apart, and yet he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in in the God of my salvation. God is worthy of his faith no matter what the situation is here on earth. No matter what the circumstances are that surrounded him. Can that be our faith today? And, and then another story that I, I thought of when I was thinking through this this week. Uh, a lot of us know the story of Job and how he lost, not, uh, he lost everything. Uh, his children his wealth, his health, right? He has a whole book written about him, and yet look at his words in Job 13, okay? This was such an encouragement to me, right? 
and that, that belief that we need to have that the, the promise of perfection in Christ is for eternity. Job 13, 15 says, though he slay me, Job is saying this about himself. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. In other words, I will continue to go to God. I will present to him my case. And yet I trust him, not only in losing my children and everything else that I had, but even if he takes my life. Again, this is a faith in God that transcends what this world can tell us is proper thinking or smart thinking. We live in a a fallen world, one that's full of sin and rebellion, heartache and pain everywhere you look. Yet we know that God is good. He has shared with us his plan. We can have faith in the midst of, because we know the end of the story. We can, we can say to all sickness, we can say to death, you are not the end. And if we get to that place in our life where our faith is that strong, we will find ourselves looking at the situations around us in a completely different way. We're going to get back to the story here with Jairus. While he was still speaking... So Jesus had stopped. He had, he had, this woman had been healed and now he was interacting and engaging with her. Uh, He's moving along. There came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James And John, the brother of James, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, or when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but uh, sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put, but, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So we finish out our text sandwich with the second part of Jairus' story. Back where where it started, this woman, before the woman grabs Jesus, uh, you know, him and in in her faith, we see that healing. So put yourself in Jairus' shoes, okay? So he comes, he finds Jesus right? Jesus, my daughter's dying. Jesus is like, let's go. They start walking. They're moving towards his home. And then there's a distraction that comes in. This woman, right? Jairus was no doubt becoming more and more frustrated and anxious with every second that passed. And you have to remember, he was a man, right? Used to getting first attention from others. When he walked in the room, people probably stopped what they were doing and 
engaged in conversation, said hello. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was highly esteemed, right? And here was this woman who hadn't been part of society for at least 12 years, right, getting all of Jesus' attention. In his eyes, could Jesus uh, have been just ignoring his situation? How dare you stop where you were going? You told me you would go with me first, right? And now you're taking time to deal with this woman. My daughter's on the verge of death, right? This woman's been ill for 12 years. She can, she can wait another hour or two until you're done with me, right? So let's take a little bit of a little look at the comparison of Jairus and this unnamed woman for a second. Because Mark does give us a couple of those. They were both at a place in their lives where they knew that Jesus was the only person that could help them in their situation. Okay? They knew that they were unworthy. They both throw themselves on the ground. Quite a different experience when you're talking about a highly esteemed religious leader and an outcast. They both had faith that Jesus could or would heal. Now we saw that the woman got what she so desperately needed and wanted, right? The, the middle of the sandwich, we've already talked about it, it's in place, right? We know what happened with this story. But for, for Jairus, things are not going exactly the way he had hoped because uh, as Jesus was healing the woman, as he was distracted, right? They got interrupted, um, during that time, his daughter passes away, and people from the house come to tell him that, hey, don't bother the teacher any longer. Your daughter didn't make it. His hope and his faith that Jesus could heal was immediately shattered. And yet, what was Jesus' response? I love this. Do not fear, only believe, right? That literally means stop fearing. Continue on in your belief right? Stop fearing, continue on in your belief. Jesus responds to this bad news with a challenge. He seems to say, look, I am, I'm disinterested. I'm not, I should say, I'm not disinterested. I'm not distracted of your need. I simply work on my terms and in my timing. You have to believe, continue on. I won't be hurried. I won't be dictated to, right? Believe and watch and see what I can do. So Jesus takes his inner core of disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go into the house. It's kind of a unique thing here. We see something we don't normally see here, at least in America, but there are professional mourners there, right? They would have typically been at the funerals of those days uh, along uh, maybe in a home after someone had died. And, and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? You know, Jesus knew what they were doing there, obviously. But in light of this story, he says, what are you guys doing here? Why are you making such a scene? She's sleeping. And then they laugh at him because while well, the, girl, the girl is dead, there's no life, there's no breath. But here we see what Jesus does. He throws them all out, except for the disciples and the parents, and he goes to work. So let's just pause here for a second, because I think there's a, a good application here for us in this portion of the story. S someone here probably needs to hear this challenge this morning. There are always going to be people in our lives like these professional mourners, these wailers, right, that are, are going to... 
think that you are stupid or foolish believing in God. That, that, that God is a crutch. You don't need that. And when you talk about Jesus being in your life, they're going to say, oh, you don't need that. You're wrong, right? Much like these mourners said to Jesus. They're going to mock you for maybe going to church or, or having a, a moral standard that you're teaching to your kids. They would rather have you going out with them and doing the things that they do and you know, partying and whatever it might be. You can fill in that blank. But look at what Jesus answer, or says to Jairus again. He, he says, don't fear. Only believe. Have trust in me. And I think those words are applicable to us. As we feel the pressures of the world and those around us uh, telling us that we're wrong or that we don't need God or that God didn't come through for us. And that those voices are going to be loud. Reminded me of these wailers, professional criers, weeping loudly and wailing. And yet Jesus speaks in a still, small voice. Do not fear. Only believe. Have faith. Trust in me. And those are the words that he's, he's speaking to us today. He's speaking to you today. So if the, the world, whether it's family, whether it's your close friends, whether it's your co-workers, are filling your ear with something other than the truth found in God's word of Jesus Christ, know that Jesus is still there. He is speaking to you. He is encouraging you to continue on in your belief. You put your faith, your faith and your trust in a sovereign Lord who has power over nature. We've seen that over demons, over sickness, and, and over death. Then Jesus, something, uh, Jesus does something here that he knew was a big deal. He touched the girl. In that culture, this was unthinkable because you were not allowed to touch a corpse, right? And if you were, you would be unclean. And yet with a gentle, loving touch, he speaks life into this girl again. He says, hey, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now we, we know the end of the story, but imagine that we hadn't read all the way through this. Imagine this is the, the first time you see him. Imagine that you're in this room. Imagine the pure shock and amazement. Their daughter was dead, but now she's awake, and, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. To me, that seems like quite an understatement. So here we have a girl of 12 years of age and a woman with an illness of 12 years. That's interesting, right? Perhaps Mark mentioned the girl's age because she was 12, and the woman whom Jesus had just healed, had suffered with her affliction, in her affliction, for 12 years. The woman had begun living when she should have died from her incurable condition, and the girl that had just died just when she should have begun living as a young woman. And, and so Jesus could and did deliver them both from death. Everyone present expressed extreme amazement at Jesus' power. They were uh, besides the, beside themselves, I should say, with great amazement. Two very powerful stories of faith in the midst. 
Several lessons that we can be learned from these stories today, uh, from these two incidents. We can, we can hear these and apply them to our lives, gl- glean from them, I should say, uh, and, and hold on to these truths. First, we see that Christ helps those who have given up on helping themselves. We talked a little bit about this at the beginning, that sometimes we don't express our faith in the little things because we become self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody else's help, so I don't need God's help either. But I'll go to God if it gets too bad, you know, or we at least do that. But here we, we see that Christ helps those who have given up helping themselves. Both Jairus and the woman had come to the end of themselves. They had nothing left. And they came to Christ in desperate dependence and, and simple faith, simple trust. Especially significant is Mark's description of the woman's futile efforts to help herself in, in verse 26, right? She had spent all that she had and was not able to, it didn't help at all, I think is what it says, but, but rather it had grown worse. It's not until we have spent all of our resources uh, in the hopeless pursuit of healing ourselves that we will be ready to truly depend on Christ's power for our victory. How long will it take for us to come to the end of ourselves and begin looking to Christ alone for the resurrection power that we so desperately need? I want to encourage you today to be a people that goes to God quickly in your faith. Secondly, there will always be time to do the will of God. Christ could have left the woman behind in order to keep up with Jairus, right, in his rush to get home. He could have said, stay here, I'll come back, we'll take care of this in a minute. And yet, he didn't hurry on. He paused, he was intentional, he stopped to do God's will for him at that moment. And I think too often, you and I, we miss doing God's will for the moment in our frenzy to do his will for the future. Right? We know where we're going, we got to get all these things done so that we can do X, Y, or Z. And X, Y, or Z may be great things. But how many times are we distracted from the here and now? Too often we miss what God's will for the moment is because of our frenzied life. This is exactly why the the priest and Levite bypassed the wounded man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. They had things to do, right? I can't take time with this guy over here. I've got stuff I need to get done. And so they passed around him. And yet, the moral of that story, the Samaritan stopped and helped that man. That was what needed to take place first. And again, for how many of us today is that true? It's so easy to get caught up in other things, the future, where we're going, the the busyness of life, the job, the family, that we miss out. Sometimes we easily miss out on opportunities that are right there in front of us. We miss out on God moments that he brings into our lives. We need to live more in the here and now. Thirdly, God honors the faith of all who come to him through Jesus. Our social status, gender, or any other distinction does not matter. God cares for the the demon-possessed Gentile 
right? The man of distinction, the religious leader of the day, the outcast woman, and the little powerless girl, right? We have four very different people here over these last couple of chapters, and yet God truly does love the world without any distinction. And lastly, we can come to Jesus with our requests, no matter who we are, what we've done, or what the request is. I do love the the verse in in Hebrews chapter 4, it's verse 16, where it talks about us boldly approaching the throne of grace. Each one of us, once we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have an advocate who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and we are invited to boldly approach God's presence in prayer. Come with that faith, believing, not fearing. If Jesus could speak to you, he'd say, continue on in your belief, right? He would encourage you in that way. Because God honors imperfect faith from a sincere heart when the object of that faith is Jesus. Did you catch that? God honors imperfect faith from a sincere heart when the object of that faith is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He wants you to come to him with any and every request that you may have in your life, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation you find yourself in, he wants you to know, you can come to me. You may approach me. God is powerful enough to take our fears, to take our situations, to take our circumstance, and allow us to grow in our faith through them. As we look at the big picture here, as we look at eternity with God and, and, and the goal of heaven and, and the goal of our salvation, I think things start to make more sense. When we're living here uh, on planet Earth and the situation is right in front of us, whether it's an illness or a death or a disease, it's sometimes hard to focus on heaven. But as we think about heaven with the reality of that and the truths that are in Scripture, uh, it, it changes the way that we look at situations when God doesn't choose to heal our friend or, or take away the suffering that we're going through. Maybe it's not the end result that you wanted. But we should still have our faith, grow in our faith, because that faith is in Jesus Christ, our sovereign God. And we have to remember that just like in these stories, God works in his timing, his plan, his will. It's not our job, right, to figure that out or to tell God when he needs to get things done. It's our job to trust, to believe, to continue on in our belief. And to believe that he truly has a plan and that it's in our best interest. We can have faith in the midst of whatever situation you're going through.